from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe, from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron, for three for the win, yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and this week I've got a very special person on the pod. He's a first-time guest on the program. He's a fellow Sports Business Classroom alum. He's also the co-host of the Assistant to the General Manager pod. You can find him on Twitter at SamJ015. Sam Johnson. Sam, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I always down to talk some hoops. Yeah, we're, uh, we're going to discuss your favorite team, the team you follow very closely, the Minnesota Timberwolves for this episode. And uh, I've been watching quite a few of the, uh, the Timberwolves games as of late. And uh, right now, Minnesota sitting at 12 and 15 overall, ninth in the Western Conference standings. They are 24th in offense, 11th in defense, and 18th in net rating at negative 0.9. Their most recent game, they defeated the uh, the Portland Trailblazers 116-111 on Sunday night, which ended a, uh, a five-game losing streak, Sam. But, uh, you know, this this next stretch of games, that their next 10 games are at Denver versus the Lakers versus Dallas at Dallas at Utah, home against Boston, home against New York, at Utah again, at the Lakers again, and then at the Clippers. This stretch, you know, none of those teams outside of Utah are really killing it, but also all those teams are at the very least, you know, decent clubs. So this is going to be really important for for Minnesota to get through this stretch, hopefully at least five and five and and maintain that that hold in the play-in in the West. Yeah, uh, so that that's super tough stretch of games. And coming into December, I believe, like as the month kicked off, they were only scheduled to play like one team under 500. And pretty much every single game you would have expected the team to be in the playoffs with the possible exception of, of Cleveland, who's been obviously the underperformer or overperformer of the season so far. So yeah, I was definitely worried coming out of November, like hopes were high. They won six out of seven. And then I was like, but now the real test comes. And as you mentioned, they started off skidding right away. They lost five straight. Um, they've already lost six straight earlier in the season. So they seem to be a, a team of streaks thus far. Yeah, so yeah, definitely concerned about this upcoming schedule. Um, but but as you said, like none of those teams are like world beaters, right? There's not as many teams that put the fear of God into you, but there are a lot of teams that are more than solid, right? Like they seem all like they sh- should be winnable, but also losable. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah, outside of the two against Utah, which Utah yeah, uh, has yes. moved back to number one in the NBA in net rating. So despite them not having quite as good of a record as the likes of, you know, the Suns or the Warriors, they they do seem to be a legitimately great basketball team. 
but yeah, um, the, the West in general seems to have slipped a little bit this season. And so uh, with that, uh, it seems like on a night to night basis, anybody can, can pull it out. And that's why you have such a, a tight race there in those uh, the, for those playing spots. But uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you right out of the gate about this team was the defense. And, you know, prior to this five game stretch, I believe they were up as high as seventh in the NBA in defensive rating. And now they've fallen to 11th. And I think part of that has to do with they were they were maybe getting a little fortunate with an opponent three point shooting prior to that uh, back to back set with uh, with Atlanta and Utah. Uh, the opponents were shooting under 33% from, from the three-point line. Now that's up to 34.5, in part because in those two games, I think the Hawks and Jazz combined for 50 made threes. But yeah. uh, what are your thoughts on the defense? Like, do you feel like this team is a legit top 10 unit, or has it been, you know, was the, was the early stretch more maybe a, a little bit of uh, shooting luck? Yeah, so that's something definitely have noticed and keyed into a little bit. Um, I think – I think it's both, right? So they were getting lucky. They're also playing a lot of bad teams out the gate. I mean, bad teams often have worse offenses and worse shooting. So maybe, yeah. maybe you could say that played a factor in it as well. But, but yeah, I mean, I think they gave up, like you said, 53s. And I think both of them shot at or above 50% in, in the Jazz and Hawks. Like, it was just every single shot was going in. But I, I think their defense is not going to be a top 10 defense. But maybe if they are... 16th 18th or something by year end and, and their offense actually comes around that maybe that's fine but like I, I, they almost have like a boomer bust type of feel to them because they fly around the ball and they try to cause turnovers which i think they're still number one in turnover rate uh, on defense so when you're making some gambles or just like frenetic mayhem type of defense running around scrambling and you miss a rotation or one guy's too slow or they make that third or fourth extra pass then you're going to find a wide open shooter oftentimes so i'm definitely concerned about that because i think and i think their defensive shot profile is bad also they give up a lot of threes and i think a lot of <laughs> a lot at the rim as well so definitely caught, like room for concern there but i do think they have defensive personnel more so than other years like they have patrick beverly of course who's been big in the locker room and you get some people's faces if they ever chill out for even one possession and like Vanderbilt it's been a plus on defense for sure steals and blocks every night and then Jaden Okogi Prince kind of been in and out of the rotation a little bit but all the guys that they're surrounding with sort of their their best three players with do have a, a flair of defense to them so definitely expect them to regress but I don't think they're going to be like 26 28 sort of like I might have thought coming into the season I think that they're going to be passable ish would you agree with that yeah, I, I think they're, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they end the season a little bit above league average, especially if Finch continues to play more of these defensive units. You know, that that starting lineup when when they're all healthy, I think the, the lineup that Finch wants to go to consists of D'Angelo Russell, Patrick Beverly, Anthony Edwards, Jared Vanderbilt, and Carl Anthony Towns. And so you've got your you've got your three sort of offensive stars there. Um, you know, maybe one and a half of which are good defenders. Uh, and, yeah. then, uh, and then, yeah, you're, you're flanking them with two, two solid defenders in Beverly and, and Vanderbilt. And as you mentioned, he's also bringing a Kogi and, and McDaniels off the bench. So he's prioritized sort of the, the defensive guys on the roster, even maybe more so than some of the offensive guys. Like I was expecting Beasley to be 
a 30 minute a game guy and he's only around 24 minutes. He's only playing about half the game. So if, if Finch continues to play these lineups that, that feature their defensive talent more, I, I do believe in their defense more than I, than I probably did at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I easily for sure. I expected him to be playing more in the, around the thirties, like six man, but end up maybe even closing some games, but he, he really doesn't. I mean, if maybe if he's hot, like he's had it going a few times and uh, of course Delo's missed some time where he's gotten some extra burn, but, but no, he kind of just does his 22 to 26 minutes and yeah, he, he doesn't start and he doesn't really finish for them. So that's certainly been a development. I, I wouldn't have expected. Uh, I think primarily because of, Vanderbilt and and Jaden and the emphasis on defense so I, I think I agree with your assessment yeah and and they have stretches even in this recent stretch where they, they you know they haven't been playing the greatest of basketball but in that win against Portland the third quarter they got they went on a little bit of a run and that was really fueled by great rotations great aggressive you know trapping of the ball and and moving off of that and then getting out and running and, and causing some turnovers you know that's something that I think Vanderbilt is, uh, is pretty good at is getting his hands in the passing lanes and getting some of those pick sixes. And, and you mentioned Beverly's ability to just get into guys' bodies and, and frustrate them. But a, a question I had about the defense too, and I think part of the reason why I like that starting lineup when, when they're fully healthy is with, with Anthony Edwards' development on defense and obviously Beverly being a good defender, they can kind of put D'Angelo Russell on the offense's weakest or the opponent's weakest perimeter player. And he's been able to sort of just roam maybe and, and, and orchestrate the defense in some ways. And the Timberwolves have been much better defensively with D'Angelo Russell has been on the court. I have, I have stats for this. It's pretty wild, but uh, the the Wolves are 24.1 points better with Russell on the floor and 18.9 of that is on the defensive end. So, you know, is D'Angelo Russell good at defense now, or is there something, you know, obviously there, there can be some flukiness with those on off numbers. Yeah, it really is insane to, to think about, but I, I actually think you hit on a good point. He, he doesn't guard, you know, the primary scorers on other teams. Like I think even, I think even like Jaden McDaniels was on Damian Lillard a little bit last night, just like for one example. Um, but I, I think he is like crafty and smart in, in that he kind of plays almost like willing to jump into passing lanes and he like sags in when he's supposed to. And so like, I think he does like fit in the seams decently on defense, but he still will die on a pick and roll and kind of get blown around. Like he's not even there. So he still is bad in certain scenarios, but I think, I don't know. I I mean, the numbers have, have borne it out and, and they've been so much better when he's been on the court. Like you said, most of it's driven defense. Like I don't think he's some brand new player, but I do think some of, Beverly and maybe coach Finch is like uh, rubbing off on him a little bit and now maybe maybe he's sick of losing and and yeah it, it just seems like he's coming up with some some timely steals and like oh how did he get to be there I, you know like he's, he's been surprising but I'm not ready to put him on you know first team all defense by any means <laughs> Yeah, like uh, he, he seemingly, you know, again, because he's, you know, in that Portland game, he was guarding Nasir Little, so he was playing off of him. And and then, you know, Jim Peterson, who's the, the color guy for uh, for the, the Timberwolves, who does such a great job, he's, he's, he's great. had a few moments where he's he's talked about some of the things that Russell's doing. There was one play where Malik Beasley was guarding the ball handler, and, and Beasley was on kind of the right wing, and the screen was coming to his left, you know, to 
to do a pick and roll towards the middle of the floor. And Russell instructed Beasley to make sure that the, the ball handler doesn't reject the screen because all of the team's help defenders were in the middle of the floor. And, you know, the, the ball handler literally tried to reject the screen and Beasley was there. So, you know, the, there are little things like that that you notice where he's communicating, he's pointing, he's telling guys where to be. Uh, you know, s- stuff you you more associate with like a center, you're sort of your anchor of your defense, but right. maybe he's doing that kind of from the guard position. Yeah, almost like like Chris Paul does. Obviously, Chris Paul is a different uh, level defender. But no, I, I, I think he's been doing a lot of small things. Like, again, I don't think he's going to shut down, you know, any any elite guys like like John Morant or something uh, or Damian Lillard, like even though Lillard had a bad game yesterday. But I, I do think he is like – fitting into the team scheme and, you know, finding the right time to pounce for steals, getting in the way when he can and, you know, not screwing up. (laughs) Well, yeah. And the, the other thing, and again, maybe this is why it's a little bit surprising where I expected Minnesota to sort of, you know, win games with their offense as opposed to their defense. And it's been kind of the opposite, you know, on the offensive end, Russell has not been great. 52% at the rim, 34% from three, and, you know, this was a stat that uh, I heard from from Danny LaRue on a recent dunked on pod, which I know, Sam, you're a, you're a fan of as well, uh, that uh, that and this this might be slightly outdated. But at the time, uh, Minnesota had a hundred point four offensive rating with Russell on the court and Carl Anthony Towns off. And I think that was one of the things that when when the Timberwolves acquired D'Lo, that was the hope was that he could not only work with Carl Anthony Towns, but then you could maybe stagger your two offensive stars and, and be good with, with both of them out there. And, and so far those, those Russell on Towns off lineups just have, have not worked offensively. Yeah. I, I mean, frankly, they don't have a lot of efficient scoring anywhere outside of Carl Anthony Towns right now. Like yeah. they, they, and like, I don't, I thought this team had shooting, but if you look like they have, I mean, Zillow, I think, is shooting like 33% right now. Um, Edwards is below 35. Beverly's like 33. Um, Jaden McDaniels is like 25%. He shoots probably more than you might expect. And, and even like like Torian Prince also can't make a shot. He's Like I said, he's kind of floating out of the rotation. But literally, yeah, man, Kogi doubled his three-point makes in that Utah <laughs> game. He had two coming in, and he hit two in that, in that Jazz game. Yeah, and, he, and he's still probably under 30%. Like, they, yeah. they, they just – can't shoot so so yeah back to the little thing like towns is such a driver of their offense you would hope that they could survive um without him but that hasn't really been the case although Dilo's time to shine is has been in in clutch moments like he's had i think he has like the most three pointers in clutch time you know last five minutes plus or minus five points i think is what is how they target it and it's weird, but that's kind of like his go-to skill. It's like making bad jump shots, right? Like, <laughs> like shots you don't really want to take, but late clock situation or late game situation, you don't always have time to get into your sets properly, or they deny Towns the ball at the elbow, or you run a pick and roll, get stifled, throw it back out, and he can, you know, one, two, crossover, step back, and shoot that, you know, 37% jumper and, and hit it. So I, I do think that's valuable, as weird as it sounds, to have a guy who can make bad shots or make shots when things go awry. So at least he's providing that, but yeah, their, their offense hasn't been great. I mean, that's, that's why they're, what would you say they were 18th or 20th or something in offense? Cause they should be better than that. Right. If you look at the, the skill that they have and 
like they're just they're not performing which which makes me a little bit optimistic if their defense regresses like kind of touched on their offense hopefully will pick up for that so i don't think all these guys are as bad shooters as, as it seems and and delo i mean delo's career numbers are all better than this uh even though he's not my favorite player so, so yeah i mean certainly has been underwhelming thus far and i don't know if, if finch can solve that a little bit or if these guys just need to play better or if they're still getting used to you know all their teammates they've had a, i think they've had like the second most starting lineups in the league so far so they have had guys in and out of the lineup and i think they're owing i think they're owing five with d'lo but technically owing six is how i counted because he left orlando game which they blew at home so i mean d'lo's been crucial if he can pick it up on offense i mean i kind of like where they're headed yeah, they've actually fallen from – they were like 20th or 21st like a week ago, but, yeah, they've fallen in just about every category, you know, from, yeah. from recent games. They're down to 24th on offense. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, Delo's kind of been known for the clutch play ever since, what was that, that ice in the veins? Oh, and yeah. That was probably three or four years ago at this point with the Lakers. Um, Love when he busts that out. He, he hit two, <laughs> two step-back contested threes last night against Portland. And then he went for a third, missed everything, but thankfully Vanderbilt was there to clean it up and kind of was the go-ahead bucket to the game, I think. So he's fun to watch late, but they certainly don't all, all go in. Yeah, and, and you mentioned that, like, basically no one on this team has been efficient offensively outside of Carl Anthony Towns. And when you watch the team play, it just – the offense is just ugly. It does not really have what seems to be like a, a flow to it there's not a lot of, you know, you see an action on one side of the floor, it's moved to the other, and you're quickly going into a second action. It's a lot of just either throw the ball to Cat and let him do something or run a one pick and roll with, with D'Lo or Anthony Edwards, and then that if that doesn't work, it goes into an isolation then for them. There, there's not a lot of movement, and there's not a lot of off-ball actions either, which makes it even worse when you've got players like Vanderbilt and McDaniels guys that have really struggled offensively because they're literally just standing in the corner and then defenses can sag off them even more. Yeah, for sure. They like, they have a few kind of like plays that they love for, for Beasley for a three pointer or, or cat or a double high pick and roll. But, but it's like the first action kind of gets snuffed out. Kind of like you said, it's kind of just a free for all, which I don't know if they just need a better plan or uh, they need to instill an offensive coordinator or what's going on there. But, but yeah, they, their offense kind of devolves quickly if they don't have that first look. And I mean, they do have some ISO players like cat is actually really good in isolation this year by the numbers. And he he has a little bit of a step back. And of course he he can back down when he's not getting offensive fouls for doing so i think he is one of the league leaders in offensive fouls which is why his turnovers are so high this year um but but edwards and, and delo too of course can can isolate uh and get a bucket but i i agree with you like they there's a reason why they haven't been efficient and i think getting easier shots would be a reason they could, a, a way they could fix that and in transition like i think edwards is amazing in transition he gets out head of steam and he's just like such an athlete. He can bounce off guys and finish. Obviously he can dunk with the best of them in the league. And, and I think he needs to get a little bit better at, I don't know if it's like accentuating the contact or selling the contact or just taking a different angle or the last step before you go up, maybe slow it down or something like a Harden because he gets contact, but he doesn't seem to get to the line. So 
if he figures that out, I, I'm also a little bit more optimistic because I think his his um like at the rim percentage for for scoring is is pretty low. I think he is someone who should finish in the paint better. And I think part of it is kind of like learning to either work the refs more or just draw the contact better. Um, so yeah, uh, that was a lot of thoughts, but I, I think they should get out and transition more. And I think they should find more ways to have secondary options or tertiary options on their plays for sure. Yeah. Like that's when, that's when the Timberwolves look at their best is when they're, they're using, they're playing good defense and then forcing turnovers, forcing misses and getting out and running for sure. And yeah, the half court yep. offense, uh, I think has been like a bottom 10 half court offense in the NBA this year. And, you know, another thing, again, talking about the likes of somebody like Vanderbilt, you know, with that starting lineup, he's the only non-shooter in that starting lineup. So you think it wouldn't be that big of an issue. And, you know, they should be doing more stuff like what the Warriors do with Draymond Green, where he, you know, basically weaponizes the lack of attention to set a screen for somebody to get them open for a shot. And you just don't see a lot of that. You see Vanderbilt a lot, again, standing in the short corner and uh, or in the corner themselves. And so far, he's, you know, uh, like a Kogi has uh, has not made too many threes. I think he's made a couple of corner threes here in the last couple of games, which, uh, you know, maybe is something that he can develop in the future. But right now it's uh, it's very low volume and I don't expect uh, opposing defenses to respect him anytime soon. No, that, and that's a good point. They, on offense, he I mean, to me, he's like strictly an offensive rebounder or yeah. a rim runner maybe maybe he'll catch a lob if if the defense kind of breaks down or you know someone gets ahead of steam and beats their man and he's just waiting uh in the dunker spot but no he he doesn't do anything on offense actually with the ball but it is a little bit encouraging like you said he made a three in back-to-back games now um, i have no idea if that's actually something or not but it's it's better than just never shooting because like even you just have to make defense respect you, right? Otherwise, it's going to clog the paint for ants, and cats can have less room to work down low. So, he he, he brings a lot of positives, but like you said, the the spacing being clogged and just straight up, I mean, he's kind of just like a ghost on offense and, until the ball goes up. Where he is an excellent offensive rebounder, which has been a big boon for them. Um, a lot of times, he comes in like literally just because they can't get a rebound, but because their defensive rebounding is terrible too. So. I, I do like Vanderbilt, but he is definitely a very specific player with um, specific strengths and very obvious weaknesses as well. Yeah, like I, I, I like him as well. He's yeah, his offensive rebounding rate at 12.1 percent, which is in this 87th percentile for his position. Uh, yeah, his, his offense outside of that is is uh, is not good. He's 66 percent at the rim, which given he's you know not being guarded a lot of times, yeah. it's, uh, it's it's not great. And then. 10.2% usage, which is sort of what you would expect, but also a 17.4% turnover rate. So he he barely has the ball. And then when he does have it, he's turning it over on nearly a fifth of his possessions. Uh, so, so yeah, that's a struggle. And I, I feel like it's been especially tough on the offense when, you know, D'Lo and Beverly were out for that stretch, because then you're playing somebody like a Kogi or McDaniels also in that lineup. And then when you have two complete non-scorers in out of those five, then defenses can really start to to grind that Timberwolves offense to a halt. Yeah, or even Leandro Balmaro, who's been playing a little bit lately. Yeah. He doesn't even he doesn't even look at the hoop when he's on the court. Like he does not want any part of scoring. So yeah, they a lot of their role players are 
very one dimensional and can't do anything with the ball. Like your princes, Okogis. I have a rule for Okogi. If he dribbles more than once, there's nothing good is going to happen. <laughs> and it, it, it doesn't have a hundred percent hit rate, but it's got to be close. It's always a turnover or a flail. Um, but I mean, I love his, his hustle and his energy and he can dunk and fast break and get in people's way on defense and draw charges. Um, but he doesn't give you anything on offense. Um, but yeah, like a lot of the role players just, I mean, they can't do anything on offense. Basically, Noel is like the only guy outside of Beasley who can do anything with the ball uh, from the reserves. And Noel did actually get it some run against Portland. So I don't know if um, that's something Finch wants to develop more and utilize him a little bit more. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, uh, I like what Noel did. And I think, yeah, just having somebody that's not just a standstill shooter can actually make a play off the bounce. As uh, Jim Peterson says, he can actually score at all three levels. You know, just having that is is so helpful. And uh, you know, speaking of Balmaro, you mentioned he doesn't he doesn't often want to shoot the ball, but when he does shoot, it feels like, uh, especially the three ball, that it is just off right as soon as it leaves his hands. It's like you can tell it's missing immediately. Yeah, it's like a no holper. I I didn't do a ton of watching him when he was overseas. Um, I saw some good reviews but uh definitely not about his shooting and yeah he's got a long way to go if he wants to be a respected shooter for sure Um, well and i think he's getting minutes again because i I feel like finch has prioritized at least outside of his big three the defensive minded guys and and balmero certainly does does get into guys bodies he plays pretty good pretty pretty solid man-to-man defense pressures guys well but uh yeah the offense has has really really been a struggle and, you know, let's let's talk about Anthony Edwards a little bit more because you, you brought up his uh, his maybe inability to finish against 60 percent at the rim this year. And from what I've noticed, yeah, it's a lot of those sort of where he's uh, he he could go into the contact, but he's maybe trusting his athleticism a little bit too much and trying to hang in the air and double clutch and, you know, go up and under and, and finish around guys as opposed to using his strength and going right through them and forcing them to, to foul or give up the two. Yeah. I mean, he's like built, like, I don't know, either a very strong running back or a linebacker. Like he should welcome the contact and, and be fine finishing through guys. Certainly. So I hope he develops, you know, either finishing or drawing fouls as I kind of mentioned earlier, but I, I don't know. Ant's such an exciting player. He, he has like four minute bursts that I feel like nobody in the league has like, at least like under 25, like all of a sudden he'll have two threes, a steal, a jam and like a block underneath the hoop. And it's like, he can flip a game on a dime and the crowd just like absolutely loves him. I feel like he might already be the favorite of, of the target center fans as much as fans that they do get sadly, but I don't know, like this kind of ties into what we were just talking about though. Like I'm not as worried about his, his like lack of efficiency because of all those guys we just mentioned that have no scoring ability whatsoever. It's like, obviously you have D'Lo and you have cat, but centers it's, it's a little bit hard to get the ball to a center late clock. Right. Or even, even early clock sometimes. I mean, they've been running doubles at cat very often lately teams right away, just bringing in two, showing two often even guarding him with like a small forward and then just bringing a second guy right away. And so if you're forcing it out of his hands and, and, um, Edwards is looking at Vanderbilt, Okogie, Jaden, Torian Prince. It's like a, a pull-up 18-footer or a pull-up 25-footer from him is probably the 
better option than getting the ball to any of those other guys, frankly, especially if it's, you know, under six or so on the shot clock. So if you still look at it as in totality for the team, it's, it's better for him to shoot it because he can make it. Whereas those other guys maybe won't even get a shot up or just barf up some garbage, like it's backboard only or something. So I do think in a more optimized circumstance that he would be more efficient. Um, like last night was a, was a great example. I don't know if the coaches were harping on him, but he, I think he took every one of his shots from the paint or a three pointer. And he was like doing a little bit more, like he's more decisive. He was like going right away or he coming around to curl head down, go to the basket. I think he also took like eight or nine free throws last night. Um, so certainly he could be better at shot selection, but even the way he's currently playing, I don't think his numbers are quite as bad or shooting numbers aren't quite as bad just because sometimes that's the best route. I mean, they have, like I think they had three 20 point scorers at one point in time. So it's like, oh, they have, you know, these three offensive juggernauts, but Delos missed some time and cat, like I mentioned, center, it's not exactly the same as a ISO or power guard having the ball late clock. So I'm I'm probably less worried than maybe some about his straight up efficiency numbers. No, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, like just given the the lack of shooting on the court at times and then the the offense as well i think a a, a better offense a, a more you know smooth flowing offense would would benefit all of these players on this team and you know yeah you you mentioned there was a specific play in that blazers game where i i think of it as the uh nikola vucevic evan fournier play where they they would have fournier in the corner vooch would be at sort of the elbow and he would come set sort of a pin down and fournier would curl off it catch it on the move and you could either pop Vucevic or have him roll as well. But that's a play that I think would be fantastic for Edwards and Towns. Get Edwards catching it on the move, going to the rim. And then, you know, if they help, you've got Cat on the on the pop. But they, they don't do it enough. Like it's 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 a very, it's a very frustrating thing. But yeah, I'm 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 in total agreement there. I, I'm not too concerned about Edwards' lack of efficiency. Because again, a lot of these are, he's shooting 34%, but it's on a, a lot of very difficult attempts, step backs, uh, right. contested shots. There there aren't a lot of easy looks in this Minnesota Timberwolves offense. Right. He's not just like catching shooting six times a game, you know, like Duncan Robinson, Kyle Corver or something, and still only 34%. He's on the move. He's dancing into a step back. He's rising and firing over a defender with two on the clock. So I don't know. I, like, and he looks like he has the ability to, be a good shooter like some guys I mean form isn't everything but some guys you can just tell and I'm fairly confident that he could become you know 36 37 38 percent shooter um which when you combine that with his athleticism and ability to get to the hoop that's pretty darn good if you ask me yeah the um you brought up the whole idea of the, the opposition teams are putting a smaller guy on Carl Anthony Towns, and we saw that in the Utah game, and there was a lot of controversy after the game with Beverly yeah. and others sort of talking about that. Um, but frankly, it, it seems to me like a smart move because, for one, you've got Vanderbilt out there with Towns, who's not a threat. So if you want your rim protector to be guarding someone, you want the guy to be guarding Vanderbilt because he's going to be able to be around the rim to to, uh, impact as many shots as possible. And obviously that's the challenge with putting your center on towns is his ability to shoot threes will bring him out on the floor and and make that guy uncomfortable. Um, What were were your thoughts on Anthony Edwards' comments, though, in relation to 
cat and sort of holding the ball because Bogdanovich was guarding him in that jazz game. And Edwards' statement was essentially like, look, you look, cat, you just have to get it and go. You can't sit there and wait for them to double you. You've got an advantage and, t- and take it. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely of two minds with that. Like on one hand, he maybe could have just talked to cat behind closed doors only just because I don't think it's a big deal, but it's probably not something you want to hear, right? Like your teammate telling you how you could have played better in, in the media. So I don't know. I mean, and has no filter, right? He just talks and he's hilarious most of the time, but yeah. as, as far as the actual content of it, I mean, he has a point. Like, I think if you catch and go right away, you can beat the double team. You can, even if you don't beat beat it purely like you have another guy racing over and you can find uh someone to kick it out to but i don't know cat likes to survey the court as a lot of guys do i mean ant does too he's getting a little bit better but he likes to kind of put him in the mixer and survey and he's not always like decisive shoot pass dribble or you know move the ball kind of thing so i don't know i mean i mean towns is the most efficient player they have he does have a lot of turnovers, which I mentioned earlier are a lot of offensive fouls because that's, that's sort of the problem when he has smaller guys guarding him. He, he wants to Hulk and beast through them. And then he like throws his elbows around or he doesn't understand that he backed in too hard or, you know, just kind of out of control in general. So I, I think that is probably the best way to guard him with a little bit of a smaller guy. Although I, don't know, I think he just needs to catch a little deeper in those types of circumstances because his first two seasons he was like i think he's like a top three player in the paint and he's kind of gone away from that a little bit um you know he's a little bit more perimeter oriented uh, although he's hasn't taken a ton of threes like in the last two games but shoots like six or seven threes a night and does a little bit of operating from the elbow or um pick and pop type of game but i think he should get back to a little bit more of, of going down low so i don't know i mean do you think that Ant was right, or do you think there's anything that he really should glean out of that? I mean, I feel like coaching should probably come from the coaches, or I mean, you, certainly you can discuss things as teammates, but I, I don't know that he's gonna necessarily respond to that immediately. This is hard to know what to make of it. Yeah, I, I like the message, but I probably agree with you that that's just something you should probably just say directly to him as opposed to to the media. Um, yeah. and and also, like, I think there is an element of that the coaches have to put him in good positions. I think one of the issues as well with the, with the sort of lack of movement and actions in the offense, when, when they do decide to give Carl Anthony Towns the ball against a mismatch, it's mostly just, you have the guy dribbling at the top and Carl Anthony Towns is posting up from like 18 feet away and he catches it and then has to face up and it takes him two or three dribbles to get to the rim where, you know, I would like to see more of those, maybe run some flex actions, get him the ball, as you said, with deeper position, maybe 10 feet away from the basket, kind of that Joel Embiid range. And, and that was another player that Edwards uh, was, was talking about in that quote. And again, I, I think like if, if cat catches it that close to the rim, then yeah, it's one single dribble to get to the bucket. And that makes somebody like cat just so, so difficult to stop. Yeah. I mean, you almost wonder if cat has like, too much scoring ability that it, it's kind of hard. Like, where do you put him? I mean, I'm not saying he's like unstoppable, but I mean, he can score from 14 feet. He can score from the three point line. He can do a little bit of dribble handoff game. He can post up of course. So it's like, maybe when you're the coach, you like get a little cute with how exactly you want to design things because you're like, well, I mean, it's fine for cat to be in the corner. He, he can shoot threes or, you know, it's fine for him to do this. It's like, 
maybe that's part of what their mindset is going in. But I will say in the last game, they were posting them up right in the middle of the paint, like at the free throw line uh, twice, I think in the last like six minutes. And I think he scored on both of them. And it's just a little bit harder to bring a double straight to the middle, which yeah. they, they talked about on the broadcast. And I don't because I mean, he can see it all. If you face up, you're going to see it and probably have an open three, whereas defenders have a easier time recovering. If you have to go all the way, skip past all the other side of the court, um, or if you pick a side, like left block, right block. So I think maybe that's something they can explore a little bit. But, but yeah, I mean, the best players in the league have to deal with doubles. And so Cat, Cat's going to have to learn to do everything, all the things, right? Do a little bit of go quick, do a little bit of survey. What are they doing? Maybe you have a shooter open. Maybe they're faking a double at you. Like, I think he just has to adapt a little bit better. And I don't know if this is only a thing in, for Minnesota fans or if everyone knows this, but his like hero one-handed passes uh, kind of got to go. Like he, he will get doubled and he'll do like these crazy whip passes that I don't know if he thinks they look cool, like one out of every 10 times that they actually work, but results in a lot of turnovers. And yeah, he, he, he definitely needs to figure out how to combat it. But I think it's not just like one swift answer. Like Ant was saying, like, just go quicker. I think it's, a lot of different approaches that have to be taken. Yeah. The whole, the whole idea of posting him more at the free throw line, that's fascinating because, you know, most of the time, again, we mentioned that it's smaller guys guarding him and at the free throw line, he does like to sort of face up and drive. And with a smaller guy that can, that can lead to some of those offensive foul issues. And then also, you know, he's got that kind of set shot. So even though he's seven feet tall, if you really get up into him, you rarely see him just like shoot over the top. <laughs> so that that's another thing. So he can't really do like what Dirk Nowitzki did at the free throw line. Um, but, but yeah, there is that ability to, there was one play, I think it was maybe Damian Lillard was switched on to him at one point and he just backed him down, took a couple of dribbles and, and finished over him. Yep. But uh, yeah, that's, that's something to it. Despite him being this prolific three point shooter, it is, it is a bit of a set shot. So that sort of face up, face-up jumper with a guy right in him is is not really a part of his repertoire yeah uh, no doubt and this is where I sometimes push back against people who say oh cat needs to shoot the ball more cat needs to get the ball more why are the guards shooting 18 times and cat had 11 shot attempts well those guards can get their own shot and not that can't cat can't but like you said he's not rising up over people to shoot his jumper it, sometimes he backs down and barrels into offensive fouls so like he's not the most versatile scorer in the sense that he's like creating all of his own shots, right? Like I mean, he has this hook shot that he can make. He can step out pretty deep and hit hit deep threes where a guy might think he's guarding him, but he's really not close enough. But but that sometimes leads to his low field goal attempts, and people are like, you know, sixty percent true shooting. Why isn't he getting the ball more? Well, sometimes those shots aren't available. Maybe that's coaching. Maybe that's just the nature of centers. I mean. There's not a lot of centers that are the hub of offenses, right? Pretty much Embiid and Jokic are the only two. And and Towns, I think, is, I don't know, a quarter of a rung below that, half a rung below that. Where he certainly he certainly can get you. Obviously, you're 26 points a night or whatever. But, but yeah, some nights he might only have 10 shot attempts. And it's not necessarily because the other players are hogging the ball. It's just kind of the nature of being seven feet and kind of the body type and style that he plays. Yeah, it's funny to see a guy at his height that can, yeah, can take a step back 26 footer, but then, yeah, you rarely see him ever just like shoot right over the top of somebody. It is, it is odd. Um, yeah. 
But uh, one of the things that happened kind of somewhat recently is about a week, week and a half ago in their game against Washington, uh, Towns had a drive along the baseline late in that game and dunked it with two hands, but was going so fast that he lost his grip on the rim and fell right on his tailbone and uh, missed the subsequent game against uh, against Brooklyn. And even in in in, in the in recent games, we've seen him sort of fall in that area and and be grimacing and limping a little bit. But uh, that's one of those injuries that's just really tough because every time you fall, every time he falls for the rest of the season, that's probably going to nag him. Yeah, and maybe that will give him a reason to not fall as often as he does. He <laughs> he's definitely not as many as Anthony Davis, but he's on the ground a lot. He does more flailing, I don't know if that's the word, or foul drawing attempts than I definitely think he should. Uh, but yeah, that was really scary. And they lost that game anyway. Then of course they lost him for the next game and they really can't afford to have him miss time. Like he, he was an iron man. I think his first three seasons, he either missed zero or one game, but then he had like a fluke car accident. Then he had the wrist injury and then he had COVID last year. So he went from iron man playing every game to all of a sudden he was playing 40% of the last like two and a half seasons. And, and they just can't afford to lose him because I mean, the franchise is, they can't even find a direction without him because they don't know how good they are with him uh, if he's not on the court. And, I mean, Nas Reed, I do like Nas Reed, but he's, like, not Carl Anthony Towns. <laughs> yeah. they, need to be, they need to be full health if they want to, you know, make their way into the playoff picture and everything. Well, and the, the, other, the other issue, you know, again, I think the playing, playing Towns and Vanderbilt together and even they've played some Towns and, and Nas Reed together, the, the, there is always the benefit then of having two bigs. We've seen it with the Cleveland Cavaliers defense, that playing two bigs that can protect the rim that generally, and, and are seven feet tall or close to seven feet tall, that generally helps your defense be pretty good. Uh, but, yeah. you know, the, the downside of that is, especially with Vanderbilt, his inability to really shoot the basketball uh, essentially makes Carl Anthony Towns the, the five on defense and then the four on offense. So whatever benefit you're getting typically from saying, okay, Carl Anthony Towns is one of the best offensive centers we've ever seen. It's not as big of a benefit when you're comparing him to other fours on the opposition. Yeah. So that's tricky. I, like, I don't know how I feel about their, their too big lineup because they still don't rebound very well. I mean, they need Vanderbilt out there to rebound, which is sad. Like Towns, he'll average 10, 11, 12, whatever rebounds a game, but I, this is like kind of a sidebar thing of mine is that I need to see better rebounding numbers available to the public. Like if you get a rebound when no one's near you, like who cares, right? Like that, that's not yeah. actually any, any talent, but I feel like Towns is not a good contested rebounder. Um, and I would love to see the actual stats on that. Like he, he's not like your freak athlete, right. Who has a massive vertical that can jump over people. He kind of just, I mean, obviously a wide frame and he, he falls into a lot, a lot of rebounds, but the, the two big look, like I think it has certain times where it's useful, but like you said, if if Cat's really playing the four, it just takes away like some of his massive advantage, being you know a five that can spread the floor. And now all of a sudden, maybe you have five guys out there, but but who can shoot? But the Wolves don't have five guys out there like ever that can shoot. So uh, it it's kind of hard for them to navigate. It feels like they're still missing like an actual power forward that, yeah. Uh, I mean, they need like a Draymond green, right? Like that's like the perfect scenario or some four that's defensive minded, but can still 
do things on offense to not compromise, you know, the spacing and everything else that Vanderbilt and Jaden do. So I don't know. I, I like when they throw in a wrinkle of having a couple of bigs out there, but I think ultimately it's better for Towns to be at the five. Yeah, I know Jim Peterson loves the idea of, of Towns and, and Nas Reed playing together, but the numbers with those two are not good at negative 17.9 net rating when those two are out yeah. there together. Uh, so um, it, it hasn't been great. Obviously, when, when Towns has been playing with Vanderbilt, the defense has been, has been solid. But, uh, you know, there's also the talk of, of Cats. Rebounding numbers are, are career low this year. And, you know, part of that, you got to imagine, again, playing with playing with a good rebounder in Vanderbilt. But again, if if your team isn't very good on the defensive glass, you know, Cat Cat's probably a part of that. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I don't I mean, he probably cares, but I, mean, I don't really care what his individual defensive numbers uh, for rebounding is just, yeah, how much what, what rate are they grabbing as a team? And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like they get bludgeoned on the defensive glass <laughs> regularly. So, yeah, I'm it feels like they don't have like a big bruiser that can get in there take up space, play defense, get a ton of rebounds. Like Vanderbilt is like a stick, like he's tiny, right? He, he just soars over people for rebounds. And he's one of the rare guys that's fun to go watch rebound. Uh, I, don't know, I love Vanderbilt. He's, <laughs> he's a very specific player, as I said, but he's, he's fun to watch. He, I mean, how many extra possessions does he create for the team per night? It has to be, like five or more. I mean, I think he averaged like three offensive rebounds and he's always getting steal or block here and there. So I don't know. It feels like that's an area where they would make a trade is for like a four or a five. Um, if they decide to spend any assets uh, to try to upgrade this season. Yeah. Um, you know, whether you like Vanderbilt or don't like Vanderbilt, the one thing is he's not boring. Like there's always stuff no. happening when, when he's out there. Um, and to, to, uh, talk about those defensive rebounding numbers, you, you, you didn't have the stats of, I'm looking it up on cleaning the glass right now. They are dead last in defensive hmm. rebound percentage. They're also dead last out. in opponent free throw rate. So they're not only getting, they're not only surrendering a bunch of second chances, but they're also getting opponents to the line a lot. And, uh, yeah, you, you talk about, uh, Carl Anthony Towns has always, you know, had some foul issues. And uh, you've you've got a really aggressive guys in Vanderbilt and Beverly that that foul frequently. So uh, yeah, the, those two numbers don't bode well for for the defense moving forward. But uh, you know the one thing that you would hope for if you do foul a lot is that you 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 uh, you create a lot of turnovers. And and Minnesota is number one in the NBA in, in turnovers created at seventeen point four percent. Right. So some of it is expected, but yeah, that's why I kind of view them as like a boomer bust defense, right? They, yeah. they follow, they follow a lot. They get a lot of steals uh, and they give up a lot of shots that you don't want to give up. So that's why, you know, your Atlanta can come in and drop 130 on you, no problem, but maybe you can hold another team to 88. I think like Phoenix had like 91 or something when they, they beat the Wolves a few weeks ago. So it's weird to think about, but I, I, I do think that that has some, some truth to it for sure. Do you feel about the, you know, do you feel differently now than you did maybe before the season about the Timberwolves playoff chances? I don't, I don't know how optimistic you were, were coming in. Yeah. So it's so hard to say because at the beginning of the year, I was like, wow, they blew their chance with the easy schedule. They, they lost to 
uh, Orlando at home early in the year. They lost to the Pelicans early in the year when they were like, would they start like one and 12 or something? And their one win was against the Wolves. Yeah. So like I was super, I was super down on them then, but then they won five in a row and six out of seven. And uh, they beat the Lakers, even though it was LeBron, they beat the Bucks. Um, so they do have a, a couple decent quality wins. Um, and, and they beat the Philly uh, and had a crazy double overtime game. So then I'm riding high, right? And then they just lose five straight again. But I, as I said earlier, like they are, I think they're 12 and nine, at least by my count, when, when D'Lo plays. And uh, I, I think I'm actually not too different than I would have been at the beginning of the year. So I'm, I'm just digging up what I actually said, because even though I'm a fool and I root for this team, uh, year after year after year, I don't consider myself like a crazy uh, optimistic homer, right? I mean, if you've had experience with the Wolves, I think you're so beaten down that you don't uh, you don't really get I'm excited. A, I'm anymore. a Browns fan, so I know all about that. Okay, okay, perfect. Uh, so I said that their ceiling was 41 and 41, and I think that that is about right. I mean, maybe that's even a little bit low. I don't know. The three games under 500 right now, but I, I have my actual prediction of 38 and 44 which I think I checked uh, 538 a couple of days ago and they were projected for like 36 by their player formula and like 39 by their team or otherwise the, the other way around. So I, I think they've ended up about where I would expect them, even though it's been like a roller coaster to get here. Right. Uh, yeah. Like the three big streaks that they've had, um, like everyone's had injuries and now COVID is starting to pop up for a lot of teams, but towns missed a game. Um, D'Lo missed six games or five and a half games. And uh, like I said, they've had a ton of different starting lineups. So they have had some um, misfortunes, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it all shakes out to be about where they should be. I, I would expect them to be no worse than 10th. Like I think the bottom of the West is pretty bad. Your Houston's, your New Orleans, um, even the Spurs who've come on a bit lately. And I don't think the Kings are not too high on the Kings either. So I think that they should finish like eighth, ninth or 10th. And of course, then you're in the plans. So you got to see what happens in a one game scenario. But I don't know. Like, I, I'm maybe a tad more optimistic, but I think it's weirdly about where I would expect, even though it's not the route I would expect it to get here. Yeah. I'm, I, uh, I, I think I was around 35 or 36 was my, was my projection. And yeah, I think they might be a couple games better than that. Uh, and, and yeah, as you said, with the West kind of being down this year, it might be, you know, being ninth or 10th you could maybe be at like 38 wins and still get into the plan. So, um, the, the one, the one big concern, and we've, we've seen it already a little bit though, is that like, especially at the, you know, I would say with, with, uh, not even Anthony Edwards as much, but with, with D'Lo, with Beverly and with Towns, if any of those three guys go down, I feel like the, the replacements there at those positions and especially even then the, replacements of the replacements because then you got to figure out that the guy that is filling in as the starter then there's another guy that then is playing 15 to 20 minutes off the bench right uh it it gets it gets rough pretty quick with this roster there there's not a lot of depth yeah so they need uh injuries or lack thereof to go their way for sure um but yeah but but if i look at the rest of the west like i don't even know who it's supposed to be scary outside of Phoenix, Golden State, and Utah. Like any other night, any given day, I think they can win. Like even Portland, obviously, uh, McCollum's out for a while, and Dame hasn't looked like himself since uh, the Olympics, really. Like starting in the Olympics, anyway. 
And so if Portland's not very good, all the teams I already mentioned, Kings, Spurs, Rockets, Thunder, like there's no reason that even with mild injury luck that they shouldn't be right there chasing ninth, eighth towards the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, the, you don't, you don't typically think of early December games as being vital, but that, that Blazers Timberwolves game, like both teams, I think were 11 and 14 going in uh, or 11 and 15 going in, Um, you know, winning that game is could, could be the difference when it comes down to it. Uh, And as you said, Portland dealing with their own issues as well, but uh, Sam, was there anything else about the, the Timberwolves you wanted to discuss before we, before we wrap up here? Oh, I mean, I'm just excited that anyone else is interested in the Wolves. Usually we're sitting here at 8 and 33, just uh, waiting for the lottery balls to turn. And even last year, we couldn't even do that because of the old pick, which was like the longest nightmare ever with the Wiggins and D'Lo trade. Yeah. And they didn't even protect it properly. So we're sitting there. Is it going to be fourth? The absolute worst scenario. So it's good to both not have that looming over our heads and to have it seem like I think they're exciting, even if they're not great. I mean, Edwards is the highlight every night. Towns, best shooting big men probably in the league. And, and D'Lo can, can go off in stretches. So they have a fun squad, even though uh, when they're losing five and six in a row, it definitely doesn't feel like it. So, yeah, just excited that they're somewhat in the mix. I'm um, going on Friday. The Lakers are coming to town. So I'm excited to see uh, LeBron and Davis, but mostly excited to see the Wolves beat them, of course, which they already pounded them at Staples, but that was that was with all LeBron. Well, yeah, and LeBron uh, now the reigning Western Conference Player of the Week, so on a on a, on a good run as of late. This is true. Uh, people got so hyped about the Wolves that this Friday game they actually flexed uh, to 9 p.m. here local time because I think it must be on ESPN now. So oh, yeah, clearly, clearly they've made it if they're uh, swapping around game times to get them in front of a national audience. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, Sam, was there, was there anything else you wanted to plug uh, perhaps the, the pod or your, your Twitter or anything like that? Uh, I mean, in assistant to the gym, we're on a little hiatus right now, but we're going to get back going here in a few weeks, I believe. Um, but no, my Twitter is just uh, do a little recap of the wolves and follow them too closely for uh, a sane person. But that's, that's what I got. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Sam does, uh, for anyone listening, Sam does uh, game recaps after yes. after every game. So they're, they're a fun little read, quick read. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's as passionate a fan as they come. Sam, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on and, uh, and taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. Corbin Ford and Gary Bouguet here with you. And uh, just wanted to, to quickly say before we wrap up, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review Duncan Dynasty. We're on, uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, wherever you get your, uh, your podcast. That is uh, much appreciated. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. Corbin, why don't you tell the people what you got going on? Oh, man, you can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Uh, definitely make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. I mean, following me is just an afterthought here. But if you want some more NBA content from yours truly, uh, check out Round Ball Ramble. Um, it is my podcast. You can also find uh, the description uh, on my Twitter handle. On on, once you click on my Twitter handle, uh, definitely check that out. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of other um, assorted pods. I love talking hoops just like my friend Gary does. So you know where to find me there. That's the main part to catch my work. Yeah, can't recommend Round Ball Ramble enough. Corbin does goes, does great stuff there, and I've appeared on it numerous times and uh, <laughs> hopefully will be uh, continuing to appear on it in the future. 
Again, we appreciate you all for listening and, of course, enjoy the next week in the NBA calendar.